0: Welcome to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly in Southeast Spain. We are here for the purpose of worshipping God and reaching others with love. We pray that as you listen, you will be inspired and challenged in your walk with God. Good morning. Well, I've got a message for you today entitled War of the Worlds. Nothing to do with H.G. Wells, I assure you, or that film that was made in the 1950s based on the book. Rather, 2 Corinthians 10, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. I'm going to keep it quite simple for you this morning. As I read this passage at home, I asked myself a series of questions, and basically I'm just going to have those questions on screen and try to answer them as best I can. My answers will not be exhaustive, but hopefully they will be enlightening. So before we get into it, let's just pray. Lord, as we look into your word today, may it be encouraging to us, may it be uplifting to us, and may we remember at all times that in this war that we are engaged in, We are on the winning side. Lord, we've read the book and we are the winning team. And we thank you that you have made us the winning team through Jesus' blood. We give you all the glory, all the praise and all the honour. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen. Okay, so I said I was going to ask a series of questions. And we're going to have the first one up on the screen now, hopefully. Why is it that we are at war with the world? Good question. And the the answer that came to me immediately when I asked this question was a scripture that you'll find in, I think, Romans and Proverbs. The heart is deceitful above all things. And it's true, isn't it, that we live in a world today where people will say things like, follow your heart, look for your heart's desire, which is all well and good if you've got a new heart, as Christians we have a new heart, God gave us that promise, I will take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, but if you've still got a heart of stone, following your heart is not a good idea. the world will tell you if it feels good do it because that's what your heart will tell you to do another scripture that came to mind as I was contemplating this question was 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 15 and 16 it says we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ amongst those who have been saved and those who are perishing to one we are an aroma that brings death to the other the aroma that brings life. So why are we at a war with the world? Well, from the world's point of view, spiritually speaking, you don't smell too good. <laughs> the message of the gospel is essentially you are a sinner in need of salvation. The good news of the gospel is that we have that salvation through the blood of Jesus. Jesus. Sadly, people who are in the world will hear the first part and write us off as being judgmental and they'll never get round to actually listening to the second part. So we are at war with the world. My second question is this. How are we at war with the world? How does this war manifest itself? And perhaps at the lowest level, it manifests itself by people wanting to avoid us. Many of you probably, if you were Christians during your working life, you'll find found that you weren't invited to all the social events. People didn't want to know what you'd been up to at the weekend. People just wanted to ignore you. Some of you have maybe got families who want to ignore you. They don't invite you over to England, and they don't want to come if you invite them over to Spain. So, that is a low level effect of being at war with the world. We can be people who are ignored. Some will want to go further and try to silence us. And silence can take many forms, it can be intimidation it can be threats. We've probably all heard and read stories about the cancel culture, about people who hold a Christian worldview being barred from speaking in certain colleges and at certain events. People will sometimes misuse the law to try and silence Christians. If you follow politics, over in the United States, you're probably well aware of the arguments about the First Amendment and the separation of church and state. And I'm not very good on history, but I'm sure I'll get a nod if I'm saying it right. That amendment was originally introduced because churches in Europe were controlled by the state and the founding fathers in America wanted the state and church to be separate so that people could join any church they want to of any denomination unfortunately over the years it's become twisted it's not about separation of church and state, it's about the separation of people who don't want to be involved in church I shouldn't have to listen to Christian messages if I don't want to that's how it's been interpreted so we have this dilemma that you can no longer pray in schools in america unless it's an independent christian school in britain we have a slightly different tack on it there are places in england and i believe in scotland now as well where it's forbidden to have Uh, protests outside abortion clinics not only is it forbidden to have protests outside abortion clinics, you cannot pray outside an abortion clinic someone even tried to introduce rules to say that you can't pray silently outside an abortion clinic how are you going to enforce that I don't know but they're trying to do it There's a video that I've seen on YouTube and maybe one or two of you have as well about a guy who decided to challenge that regulation. He's a man in a wheelchair and he went to a, a park which happened to be across the road from an abortion clinic. And he got out of his wheelchair, knelt, lifted his hands to the sky and prayed the Lord's Prayer. He was dragged off by a policeman. The whole thing's on film. You can see it on YouTube if you search for it. People will try to silence us. We also have to deal with false allegations and misuse of science. I'm going to say a bit more about the misuse of science later on, so I shan't say too much about that. But people will say things that are false like religion is the cause of all the wars in the world today. Anybody ever heard that one? Of course it's not true. If you look at the last century and the massacres that happened in various places, most of them were caused by atheistic regimes. people will say churches they're only after you for your money well of course we do need money, we all need money but that's not why we're here and people will throw all kinds of falsehoods at us. Richard Dawkins who I'm sure you've heard of wrote a book called The God Delusion which was an attempt to ridicule Christians to make out that we are deluded. I have to say I've read one or two bits of it. I couldn't bring myself to read the entire book. And there's pretty dodgy science, poor philosophy and very poor theology. And I think that if anyone's deluded it's probably him to be honest. But what are the weapons of our warfare? That's our third question. What are the weapons of our warfare? And I want to say first and foremost, the biggest weapon we've got is prayer. Simply turning up before God and saying, this is the situation, Lord, take it. I was reading recently the story of Hezekiah Some of you may be familiar with it. It's in 2 Kings chapter 19 and in Isaiah 37. I think it also appears in Chronicles as well. I'm not sure about that one. And the city was surrounded. And his enemy sent him a very poisoned pen letter that he had read to the people of the city. He said, nobody else has been able to defeat us. You won't be able to defeat us. It's no use trusting God. Just come out and save your lives. He said a lot more things that I won't repeat in church as well. But Hezekiah simply took the letter. He went to the house of God. He put the letter on the altar and prayed, God, I don't know how to deal with this situation. Just take it from us. The problem is very often when we face problems, we'll go to the Lord like this. Lord, here's a problem. Please take it from me. When we are at war with the world, What other weapons have we got at hand? Well, one is simply to bless those who curse us. Jesus told us that is precisely what we should do. Also, Paul said in Romans chapter 12, if if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. It's very true, isn't it, that when you bless people, it's very difficult for them to persecute you. I didn't say it's impossible. I didn't say it's impossible. But we are to carry on blessing people who persecute us. To feed them if they're hungry. To give them something to drink if they're thirsty. forgive others these are powerful weapons and this may seem contradictory but we are also called to be bold and be strong you've got that song in your head now haven't you be bold be strong for the Lord your God is with you that shows your age if you remember that one (laughs) and you may think to yourself Well, isn't it contradictory to be bold and strong when we've been told to be humble and pray? No. Some of you may know this, some of you may not, but in the Old Testament, one of the words that is used to to describe humility is the exact same word that is used to describe a horse that has been broken in. Think about that for a moment. Humility is the same as a horse that has been broken in. Is a horse that has been broken in weak? Not in the slightest. He's strong, but it is strength under control. It is strength that is under submission to its owner. Elijah was a man like that. He heard God and God spoke to him. And he confronted the prophets of Baal. He was vastly outnumbered. His life was at risk. But he confronted them anyway. Paul on one occasion demanded of his jailers that they apologize to him for falsely imprisoning him. And Jesus of course overturned the moneylender's tables when they were desecrating the house of God so question four of six what are strongholds that we need to demolish well first of all we have to deal with what are strongholds a stronghold in the bible is a place that people go to to be safe to be protected against the enemy and people of this world And I'm sad to say sometimes people of the church have strongholds that they put in the place of God. One of the biggest ones is money. People will look to money, won't they? They think if they've got money, they are secure. If they've got money, they're safe. They can buy what they want to, they can go where they want to but Jesus said what does it profit a man if he gains the old world but loses his soul people will trust in false religion they will seek to provide their own salvation but Jesus said this in John chapter 14 if we can have it on the screen please I am the way and the truth and the life No one comes to the Father except through me. There are many religions in the world today that have set themselves up as strongholds opposed to God. But Jesus is the only one who proved his claims by fulfilling prophecy and also rising from the dead. Yet another stronghold that we can come up against is human judgment and reasoning. If you were to read John chapter 8 and chapter 9, it's a long dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees, and it's clear from that dialogue that the Pharisees were just bent on following their own version of the truth. They'd just seen a man who was born blind healed, and yet they still would not believe because of their reason, their reasoning. Another stronghold, and one that is, I have to say, less of a stronghold these days than it used to be, is trust in governments and worldly systems. If you look back at the last century, it was blighted by people putting their trust in various isms, communism, fascism, nationalism, rationalism. Didn't John Lennon write a song about this? Another song. but people these days are less inclined to trust governments and worldly systems following the banking crash of 2008 and the disruption of COVID but these are strongholds that people put up these are strongholds that people will rely on and it is now a responsibility as Christians to say your stronghold should be God he is the only stronghold who will protect you and defend you. At this point we lead on to our fifth question that I came up with as I was reading this passage in 2 Corinthians 10. How do we demolish arguments and pretensions? And what are they exactly? Well, the word pretension quite conveniently, comes from the word pretend. Pretensions and arguments are human thinking, human reasoning, that are pretending to take the place of God. And one of the biggest today is science. Now I know some people will probably turn off when I start talking about science, but I love talking about science. But people will say, oh, science has disproved God. They probably don't know a lot about science when they say that. So two things you need to show them straight away. One is that there are limits to what science can tell us. The most common areas of conflict between science and Christianity are around the subjects of evolution and creation. And if we look at those two subjects, creation according to the Big Bang Theory was also the start of the rules of science. Not a lot of people know that. The Big Bang Theory is not just the start of everything that there is, it is the start of the rules of science. Now that's a problem. Because if you're trusting in science, how do you explain the Big Bang Theory? Science didn't come into existence until the Big Bang happened. So how do you explain what happened before? You've got no frame of reference. So that is a limit to science. Similarly, evolution has a problem. It can't be recreated in a laboratory. We can't go back and test it and make it all happen all over again. Incidentally, I don't know if we've got any Guardian readers. I hope not. But the Guardian published a very interesting article this last week. For those of you who are not familiar with the Guardian, I'll just say it's a very left-wing newspaper. Pro-LGBT anti-religion and they actually published an article this week and the headline was do we need a new theory of evolution? it was all about the fact that many scientists are now starting to realize that there are flaws and problems with evolution Some think that the theory just needs tweaking a little bit. Some think we need to go back and start from scratch and come up with a whole other theory. I mean, what other theory are you going to come up with? I don't know. But that's where scientific thinking is going. And scientists as well, you know, they are human beings. And as human beings... They have their sacred cows, they have their prejudices, they have their way of thinking, and sometimes they come up with the wrong solution. If you want an example, I'll tell you a story that involves a few famous scientists. If you go back to the Victorian era, and you were to ask Christians, the universe and everything in it did it have a beginning is it going to have an end they would say yes the bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and earth when you get to revolution revolution revelation it says that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth so yes it did have a beginning yes it's going to have an end but scientists around that time they thought Well, we've got the ancient Babylonian records, Chinese, Egyptian records. There's no evidence that anything has ever changed over thousands of years. It's just always been here. That's what they thought in the Victorian era. But then along came a scientist you will have heard of, Albert Einstein, who came up with his theory of um, relativity. It was a brilliant theory. It was so brilliant that nobody understood it. In fact, it took him several years to think about what it actually meant. And he realized once he started to think about it, is that if he applied his theory to the world around us, it has a beginning, it is going to have an end. And he thought, that can't be right so he invented something called the cosmological constant which meant that the theory would work and the universe had always existed the problem was he just invented it to, because of his preconceived ideas and some time later he was confronted by someone who realized what he'd done a guy called George Lemaître he was a Belgian astronomer also a physicist a very intelligent man also happened to be a Catholic priest. And he confronted Albert Einstein and said, You don't need the cosmological constant. Just accept the universe had a beginning, it's going to have an end. Einstein called him an idiot. To his face, he told him that his religion was getting in the way of his scientific thinking. Some years later, another scientist came along who you may just have heard of, Edwin Hubble. And he got the opportunity to use a telescope that had just been built in the Rocky Mountains on the west coast of America. And he looked at newly discovered galaxies and he discovered something that surprised him. He discovered that everything was moving away from everything else and the impression was the universe had a beginning. And so Albert Einstein eventually admitted that the cosmological constant was the biggest mistake he had ever made and he apologized to George Lemaitre. But I tell this story simply to make this point. A lot of people will... a lot of people are Christians talk about science as if it's all a conspiracy theory. It's not but scientists are just human beings they've got preconceived ideas and because of their preconceived ideas it influences the decisions that that they make even Albert Einstein fell into that trap and if Albert Einstein can then who else can lastly our sixth question what does it mean to take captive every thought In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 9, we read these words. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. We're in a battle. We're in a war, folks. People don't want to hear from us. They don't want to talk to us. Some people will try and confronters, humiliators but we are on the winning side we are on the winning side and that passage in Philippians starts with the word so do not be anxious about anything Romans 2 says something very similar We can have it up on screen. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when you've done that, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We're in a battle. It's hard and as with all wars sometimes we lose the odd skirmish or two but we're not going to lose the entire war we simply have to be careful not to be conformed to the pattern of this world we have to be careful to put our thoughts, our problems before God and having done all that we can then take seriously the great commission and you probably know it but I'll read it to you anyway Matthew 28 then Jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me that's a good place to start isn't it all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age I've shared a few things this morning that could be construed as being a bit of a downer but the good news is we win in the end our weapons are stronger than the weapons of this world and whether we see victory in this lifetime or have to wait till the next we will see it so let's just pray and then the worship team are going to come back and sing one last song Lord, thank you that we do not face the battle alone. That you have given us the armour of God, you have given us weapons to fight this war with, and we will win. Because you are greater than all, you are over all, and you are in us in the power of your spirit, Lord. And we cannot be defeated. And we give you all the glory for that. We give you all the honor. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly, a ministry of AMG Spain and AMG International. For more information, please visit our website at www.ricatoravieja.org. This audio file is not copyrighted.